ברוכים הבאים בשם השם, ולחנוכם בבית השם, Welcome to our Wednesday night shear, which we have, of course, as you know, every Wednesday night. And we almost broadcast this week's year from Chicago, Illinois. We just didn't make it there, unfortunately. So we're here back in Brooklyn, New York. Well, we're still here in Brooklyn, New York. We're not back. Excuse me. Sorry? Oh, there we are. We're in Brooklyn, New York, live. Live in Brooklyn, New York, yes. Um, one second, we gotta adjust. Adjust it. This Shabbos is Pashva Yishlach. A very, very rich Pasha. A Pasha. Hey, welcome. Discussing the messengers of Yaakov to Esav. Today is, was Yud Kislev. A very special day in Chabad. The Chabad Rebbes that had made him the chain of the Chabad dynasty, Chabad Lubavitch, began with Yalt Rebbe, who was a Talmud of the Mazitche Magid. In turn, Yalt Rebbe mantle was given over to his son the, who was then called titled the Mittler Rebbe in the time of the Baal Shem Tov there rose up a Shabtai Tzvi a person that was determined Something's wrong with Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia, your camera is not coming on. He was determined to deter Jews from practicing Judaism properly. He declared himself a Mashiach, a false Mashiach at that. And Rahmanullah many Jews went to their death as he decided to lead the march to Israel. The Balshemtiv then elevated the Jewish nation. His mantle was then given over. The baton was passed to the Mazrich Magid, the Magid of Mazrich. After the Magid of Mazrich, there was a discussion as to who would take over from the Magid. And actually, it was this week's Pasha that the Magid mentioned. And he says, Yaakov says, to, says, I've made myself so small. i made myself to naught. I made myself nothing. And therefore, I humble myself. Now we've mentioned this many times by the Shir Pashva Yishlach. The Gemara tells us a person has to be humble. But even in humbleness, a person has to have somewhat 
of an ego. The ego of which the Gemara talks about is a Shmini Shebeshminis, an eighth of an eighth. When a person takes in their entire lifestyle, takes in their entire being and creation, they limit themselves. They have to be somewhat egotistical, somewhat a person has to feel that I have some kind of value. A person can't just make himself a shmata and say I am nothing of nothing. And we've told the stories of chassidim that slept on benches, etc., etc. But we explain why shmini shebishminis. Why is it an eighth of an eighth? Where does that number come from? And for those of you who remember it before, or have listened before, or have seen it elsewhere, Pasha's Vayishtach is the eighth Pasha in the Torah. From the beginning, And then we have the eighth Pasha Vayishlach. The eighth Pasuk in Pasha's Vayishlach starts with the word Katointi. I have humbled myself. When the Chassidim gathered around the Mazich Magid and they asked him what's going to become of us? What will be of us? Sorry, not the Magid. The Balshemt of himself. He said that after he passes away, they should look for a new teacher, a new father, a new leader. They should ask, how does somebody get rid of all their conceit, all their haughtiness, all their gaiva? And the Balshem said, if anybody can give you an answer, or tries to give you an answer, he's not the good one for your leader. And after the Balshem passed, there was a group of Chassidim that traveled place to place, and at length they came to Rav Pinchas Koretz. And when they asked him this question, how does a person become totally humbled? He answered, but I stand in fear of the same danger. I know no way out. And then they installed him as their ever. <coughs> there were different people, followed different things. Ultimately, it all turned to the Maggid of Mazrich. So we'll discuss Pashva Yishlach. We will discuss Yud Kislev. As it is only proper <clears throat> the Rebbe would always fabreng. The Rebbe would always speak about any Yenma the Pagra, any special date the day after the day. For example, today being Yud Kislev, tonight would be the Fabrengen for Yud Kislev. What's going on in Atlanta? Why is it not getting through? I'll try again to bring it back to life. When Yaakov meets Esav, he tells him, in love on Garti, I lived with love on. And Rashi, who is the one that explains the simplest form of words of the Torah, has one of the explanations, he says, on the words, Im Lovon Garti, I lived with Glovon, Vitayag Mitzvah Shamarti, I kept all 613 mitzvahs. Taryag and Garti are the same letters, interposed. 
This simple explanation of the word garti comes from the word ger. A ger is somebody that's not somebody that's settled, but rather somebody who's just entering or coming into a situation or coming into a society. Someone who doesn't actually belong sometimes. Someone who adds himself to a society is considered a ger in a town. And therefore, when he says in Lovan Garti, I lived with Lovan and I kept Tariag Mitzvahs, even though Yaakov Avinu knew that he was only here temporarily, and that Lovan Arami was going to deceive him, he remained with Sher, Chamer, Tzayn, Eved, and Shivcha, with the ox, the donkey, the sheep, the servant, and the maidservant. But these, all these things were foreign to Yaakov. He was not involved with all the physical, with the money, with the cattle, with the servants, with the slaves. This is not something for him. He did not want the physical world. All these physicalities was all a gaitis to him. And although all this luxury was in the house of Lavan, Tayag mitzvah shamarti. I kept my tayag mitzvah. I kept all the mitzvahs that I had to keep. Now the truth of the matter is, we come up with a very intriguing question about this. How is it possible that Yaakov actually kept all 613 mitzvahs? There are many mitzvahs that can only be done in the Holy Land, in Eretz Yisrael. So in what way did Yaakov actually keep all these mitzvahs? There's a story that's told about Shem Tov once ended up in the house of a non-Jew for a few hours. And when he came out of the house he was extremely happy. And when asked why he was so happy the Baal Shem Tov explained very simple. I was able to keep the entire Torah in the house. And they questioned him, they asked him, but you're in the house of a heathen, of a guy. And he definitely had crosses and idols, etc. What way could you possibly have been keeping Torah? To which the Bashemta replied, in such a house, with his idol worship and all these things going on in the house, you're not allowed to think of Tera. You're not allowed to think of any words of Tera, any thoughts of Tera, because you're desecrating that mitzvah that you are thinking about when you're in the house of an idol worshiper. When you're in the house of an idol worshiper with idols around. I was in that house and I didn't think of any given mitzvah. I didn't think any word of Teda. Therefore, it's as if I completed that mitzvah itself. And so too Yaakov says, I was in the house of Lovan Arami. And we know there were definitely idols. We know the story later, how they run away from Lovan. And he's missing his idol. And he comes to chase and he curses Rachel. And Rachel gets cursed. So how is it that Yaakov was able to keep the entire Teda while by Lavan? That is exactly what he says. He says, I kept my, the entire Teda there because I did not think of anything. 
When I was in the house of Lavan, I was in the house of the impurities of Lavan, I refrained from any talk, I refrained from any terror thoughts. That's why it is very, very important that in a Jewish house there are mezuzahs on the doors, that in a Jewish house there is a bayis malis farim, a house full of Jewish books. So we should be surrounded by spirituality from all sides. And by being surrounded thereby, the person can accomplish everything they need to accomplish. Vayishtach Yaakov Malochim Yaakov sent angels, or he sent messengers. Rashi says, he sent literal angels. Chassidus explains, this confrontation, this meeting between Yaakov and Esau, which the entire Pasha is involved around, evolves around, is the inner lesson of Yaakov Avinu's service to God to elevate and to repair the wicked, the evil within Esau. And we see literally from the word of the verse of the scripture, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim. Yaakov sent angels. Other places it explains, even though that the Medrash, there are different explanations on Torah. There is Rashi, there is Medrash, there is different commentaries. And other places in the Medrash, for example, he says Malachim were messengers. They were physical men of flesh and blood that went out to carry the message of Yaakov to Esau. But Rashi does not look into depth. Rashi looks into the literal translation. And therefore, if the literal translation of the word, Vayishlach Yaakov Malochim, he sent angels, Rashi therefore explains that it means literal angels. Rashi doesn't mince words, as we say. If that's the case, that they were Mamish Malachim, why was Yaakov sending angels? There is a halacha, a law, in Erechayim, if a person sends a messenger to do something for him, then the halacha is shlucha shaladim kemaisai, the messenger is just like the person himself. If I send you to do a mitzvah for me, it's as if I did the mitzvah. In reverse, for a sin, the Gemara tells us, There is no messenger when it comes to an Avera to come to do a sin. If I, someone sends somebody else to do a sin for them, the sin is on the person that actually does it. He cannot blame it on his person that sent him, that dispatched him, because you didn't have to listen to do the sin. Ooh, no, no, kitchen. But the law is also, if God forbid, someone dispatches, dispatches a messenger into a place of danger, And the person gets damaged, gets hurt. The, me- the person that sent him needs to repent for this. And since the odds were 
that the messenger from Yaakov to Esav, Esav is going to hurt them, God forbid. Therefore, Yaakov had to send somebody that won't get hurt. And that's why Rashi says, I have to explain to me there must have been angels, real angels, and not physical people. Even though he could have sent people that were ignorant, for example, people that could have come and said to Esau, you know what, we met Yaakov on the road. I don't know if you know Yaakov. You know, I, you know him, yeah? We met him and we heard that he's looking to make peace with his brother Esau. We don't know who Esau is. We don't know who Yaakov is. We don't know who either of you are. We met him and he's talking about this. But in the end, the Pasuk proves to us, and Rashi says the simple explanation is, it was Malachim Mamish, and not spies, not regular people. And he brings a simple proof. It doesn't say in the Pasuk, spies, it doesn't say people, it says angels. And therefore we must go according to Rashi's explanation. But we still need to decipher what is going on here. Although, yes, the Pasuk means and translates the word literally as angels and not spies, how could it actually be as such that Yaakov sent angels? You can't just use angels. Now, someone has heard from me this week already that the way he had angels, what were the angels from? The angels were from his mitzvahs, from his good deeds. And therefore they were made to protect him. But still in all, how does he come off to sending angels? How does he using such a spiritual thing called an angel and not regular spies, regular people? Especially if the deal was, the whole mission was, to elevate Esau and to make Esau righteous, to turn him around. Why did he have to send angels for that? He could have sent people. So therefore we need to also see, therefore we need to implement, we need to prove from this, that another concept here of him sending angels is this spiritual realm of this whole story. That he had to elevate and he had to purify Asa by making peace with him. Only through angels. Off the subject a moment. Ironic, an ironic state, thing that I saw today. In today's Chitas, Esav and Yaakov are discussing as they meet together. And Esav says, and Esav says, He had servants as well, by the way. Esav says, Yaakov says to Esav, I'm sorry, here is your gift that I want to present you with. But what lotion, what word does the expression that Yaakov uses? Birchasi. My blessings to you. So I said, wow. How ironic. For those that are old timers and have heard of Abbott and Costello, we know that there was one time they were in prison and you weren't allowed to say Niagara Falls. If you said Niagara Falls, one of the people in the prison went crazy. He remembered, it's, it triggered something in his head. So here Yaakov meets Esav and we have according to the opinion of Rav Shimon Bayechai Bayechavkeu Bayenishakeu He hugs and kisses him And he was sincere at that moment. Esav really loved Yaakov. Although Halacha says him Shimon Bayechai. Esav say no Yaakov. Esav hates Yaakov. But at that moment he loved him. And what word, what expression does Yaakov use? Birchasi. The whole reason that Esav wants to kill Yaakov is because he stole his bracha. He stole his blessing. 
So if he wants to present him with something, don't use the expression birchasi, my blessing. You say matanosi something. I just found that very ironic today. I didn't find any. I didn't look or delve into any explanation for it. I just that was off the cuff on a tangent. <coughs> Let us get back to Yaakov using angels. I don't know the last time any of us spoke to angels here. If you've been speaking to angels, then you're definitely doing something wrong. You're smoking something different than the rest of us are. We speak to God, we pray to God, yes. We don't usually hear God answer us. For Yaakov to actually tell an angel, go do a mission for me, it's a little a little funny. But we see that Yaakov and angels have a lot more to do with each other than we thought. The Pasha continues and tells us that Yaakov crosses the Yardin with his family. And he had some pachim ketanim, he had some things left over. He went back himself to get them. And at that point, Sarei Shal Esav, Esav's angel from heaven, came down and got into a, a fight with Yaakov, a physical fight. And Yaakov holds him off a whole night long. Until the morning where he comes and he says, I gotta go, I gotta go make my, I gotta go say my davening, I have to go say my tefillah, he was a malach to daven by day. And therefore, he has to be released. But Yaakov fended him off all night long. After the entire battle, He tells Yaakov, which is very important. He tells Yaakov, that's it, your name is not Yaakov any longer, your name is, is now Yisrael. That has the whole name, no, it's all this. Our interaction with angels that we have and as someone mentions on the actual every Friday night we sing the Shalom Aleichem Malachi Asharis we greet the angels we greet them and we see them off as well there's Shalom Aleichem Bayachem Lishalim Baruchuni Lishalim and then we say Tzayischem Lishalim now if you've never joined my Shabbos table you probably never heard me say it before but it's a very ironic thing to do. You welcome the angel, and you don't even let him stay for Kiddush. Before you start Eishes Chayel, which is still before Kiddush, you're already saying, Tzayitzchem Neshalem, go in peace. What kind of host are you? And the answer to that is, that when we welcome the angels, the angels accompany us home from Shul on Friday night. We welcome those angels. Those angels stay with us from Friday night till next Friday night. They don't leave us until we have two more angels. So we welcome these angels. We say, Shalom Aleichem, Bayachem Lishalim, Berchuni Lishalim. And now we turn to last week's angels and we accompany them out and we say, Tzayzchem Lishalim. We say that before. Some customers say, Tzayzchem Lishalim before that also. So definitely they have a mistake. Now you understand why they have a problem. <laughs> but it's still the first thing is Shalom Aleichem. Okay. <laughs> Regardless, it's irrelevant, but the, the fact is, you're still not contradicting it, because that can also be the same thing. They leave now, and you're blessing the ones that are staying. It's not, the, yeah, it's not the issue. But the fact of the matter is, that we, yes, we do welcome angels and we greet angels and we say goodbye to the angels but we don't have actual conversations with the angels and we don't send them on missions for us and we definitely don't have wrestling matches with them <laughs> and here the angel grabs Yaakov and tells Yaakov you want me to go away, I'll go away and Yaakov says bless me and the angel says Le Yaakov Yemar Shimcho Kim Yisrael 
Your name is no longer Jacob, it is Israel, Israel. Why? You were able to battle and you won. And therefore your name is not Yisrael. He adds to Yaakov another level. Another greatness in the service to God. Another tool to elevate the service of Esav. And Rashi explains, Until now, Yaakov was Akev, an ankle, a heel. He was the heel. He did everything hidden. He had to always do around in a hidden way. Now he says, no longer. You no longer have to go with the Yaakov part of your life, rather with Yisrael, because you now everything will be open. He should have just said that I'm adding your name Yisrael. I'm adding to you another great level in the elevating and how to deal with Esau's wickedness. With Esau's impurities. That you no longer have to deal with it in a hidden way, but in, open, in an open way that you can come out and openly contest the evil. Yaakov does a f- two things here for us. As I said, the Yaakov had crossed over the Jordan River with his family. Now, I don't know if you know it, but George Washington crossed the Delaware with boats, and obviously he became famous for that. Columbus discovered America on a boat. Also, they became famous because they were using boats. Yaakov Avinu did not take a boat across the Yardim. What would he, if he would have had a boat, what would he have called it? <laughs> Pinta Esav, whatever. Um, <coughs> the USS Jacob. USS Jacob, okay. Probably the uh, IS Jacob, Israeli Jacobs. Yaakov took his staff and he split the Yardin. The Yardin split for him, the water split the Jordan River and he took his family across. There's a klal, a generalization that says Maise Ovois Simin Labonim The work of our forefathers were table setters for the children. So first of all, when Yaakov split the water, the concept of water splitting was not a possibility. When God created the world, the nature of water was to flow. There was no such thing as water stopping. Yaakov implemented this, so that when his children left Egypt generations later, the water should split for them as well. So he created, in essence, the concept of water splitting. And for him and for his children. So too over here, in our Pasha, he gives a special strength to B'nai Yisrael for all the generations. To do what? To work on elevating evil. Each Jew has within himself a power and a potency to take the evil of the world and to eradicate it and to elevate it to good. Just like our forefather Yaakov. And therefore it's a simin labonim it's a sign for his children, which are called, we are referred to as B'nai Yisrael, Israelites. Why? Because we can openly deal with our evil world. But still in all, 
the name Yaakov remains intact. Because the name Yaakov also has a lesson for us all. The Gemara and Brachis, for those keeping score at home, Yud Gimel Omer Aleph, 13 side 1. The Gemara enters into a discussion, a question. First, the Gemara brings down a law. Tonei Rebarkapora. Barkapora learned. Kol hakeira li Avraham, Avraham eivibase. Anyone who calls Avraham Avinu. Instead of saying Avraham, Abraham. He says Avram, Abram. He is transgressing a mitzvah say a mitzvah that we must do in the Teda, where the Teda says your name and now should be called Avraham. Ebelazan, Rebbeimer, Ebelav, he's over a love, he's transgressing a negative mitzvah in the Teda. because the angel said, Le'yikore eid eshimcha Avram. Your name may no longer be called Avram. And therefore, it's not a positive commandment, but a negative commandment that he's going through. The mother asks, If that's the case, says the mother, What happens if someone calls Jacob, Jacob, Yaakov, Yaakov, we know that the angel told him your name is no longer Yaakov, it should now be called Yisrael. So is that also the same law? The Gemara answers no, Shani Hasam, it's different there. Dadiadori Kro, we have another passage, let's see if it says, Vayemelikim the Yisrael, God calls to Yisrael. The Mare Salaila at night, Vayemel Yaakov, Yaakov. That the Almighty Himself calls Yisrael, and He refers to Him Yaakov, Yaakov. And we know why He repeats the name is out of love. So we see that God Almighty Himself calls Him Yaakov still, and therefore the name Yaakov may be used. So good. So we can say we can use the name Yaakov even though the name Yisrael was added to him. Because both names, Yaakov and Yisrael, are lessons to our service to God. And they are a lesson in how we have to serve in this world God. Even though the name Yisrael is a much higher level, the name Yisrael is a much more glorious name. But the service of Yaakov still remains intact. And this is something that each and every one of us has to live with. It just has to do with time. At the place and the time, sometimes we have to act like Yaakov and sometimes we have to act like Yisrael. What does it mean act like Yaakov? When a person works in the physical world, when it comes to working out, going out to work with money, to working with life, he has to come in a way of ikve and remir. He doesn't have to say how hoary I am, how great I am. That I'm doing only because you asked me to. The same is also the example when it just like when it comes to phys- spiritually the person has to go against what has what all that's not right for him. The same example is also a Jew that deals in business. Although he looks like the greatest businessman and he wants to earn as much money as he can. But the truth is, we tell him that this is only a 
garment. It's an outside garment. It's the garments of Esav. But what is the actual essence that you exist on? You exist that everything has to be for God. That the Parnosah is Bnei Bayis, the Parnosah is family, and they should be able to give tzedakah. That's all he's doing it for. He's not doing it because he wants to become famous, he wants to become rich, etc. The fact that a person is in the world, he has to measure off, he has to always see to it, that it's called Yaakov. He takes the lowest part of his neshama, the akev, the heel, and therefore the Yetzirah, the Nefesh Bahamas, sometimes could even deceive and to make it look like he's hiding the light of the Holy Soul, and he needs to battle it by bringing it down so he can battle it. Yisrael, in turn, is named, the letters Lirosh, to me a head, the head of the Neshama. And therefore you don't need any battle. And because Yisrael is such a high level, when it comes Shabbos, the serenity, the beauty and the peace of Shabbos, surrounds us from all sides. And we live a life of Yisrael where we are elevated. When it comes to Matzah Shabbos, when Shabbos goes out, one of the songs that the world sings, Altira Avdi Yaakov. Do not fear, my servant Yaakov. Because Shabbos you were in the concept, in the level of Yisrael. And now as Yaakov goes out, you are living the life of Yaakov again, but you do not have what to fear, because you are going in the way of God. So that's why, although the angel tells him, in a blessing, that you are now Yisrael, God still says, no, your name Yaakov is still instead, is still in its place. I got a message today. A message that is being asked to relayed, be relayed to the fellow that was in Auschwitz. And he has a tattoo on his arm, A7734. If you have that number, you're the winner of the lottery. No. Your twin brother is looking for you. There is a survivor, a Holocaust survivor named Menachem Badner. He was four years old when he was liberated from the Auschwitz in 1945. He's now 72, so his twin brother is also 72. Menachem lives in Yisrael, in the Holy Land, and he's on a quest to locate his identical twin brother, who the last time he saw him was in Auschwitz. And they separated two days before the liberation, in May of 1944, Menachem and his twin brother were transported to Auschwitz two months before their fourth birthday. They were selected because they were identical twins and there were many experiments that were done on them. One twin was adopted and given a new name, Menachem Badner, and the other twin was adopted and taken to the America. To America. He probably changed his name too. He, does, he might not even know he's Jewish. But they both have tattoos on their arms. So for the next 67 years, Menachem did not know anything about his family or his twin brother. He only knew of his own Auschwitz tattoo on his arm, which is A7733. The Red Cross records that are located show Menachem's brother was alive two weeks after Auschwitz was liberated. So there's hope that he is still alive. They also found out their real names were Gottesman. His name is Elias Gottesman, and his brother was Jeno Gottesman. 
Jeno has the number A7734. You might see him one day in shul. You might meet him somewhere on a street or in a mikveh. If you do, tell him his brother is looking for him desperately. He wants to reunite with him. This morning, on Yud Kislev, Rabbi Yitzchak Braun, a Polish Chassid, living in Borough Park, came over to Rabbi Chaim Dalfin, Chaim Yankel Dalfin in Borough Park, and he told him the following story that happened in 1991, 5752. Rabbi Yitzchok is the son of Rabbi Moshe and the Davins in Square on Borough Park on 17th Avenue between 47 and 48th. And he said, I got to tell you a personal story. We know that it says that today the Mitle Rebbe would perform miracles with women that couldn't conceive. And therefore we're giving a bracha today as well, that this being a Yud Kislev Fabrengen, that all women that need to, should have the bracha to conceive, and they should all have easy pregnancies, and healthy children. And he tells the story as follows. It was Matzah Simchas Teda, 5752, 1991. He went to get Kesha Brachad. Matzah Yamtuf the Rebbe would make Abdullah, and then he would give from his cup, they kept filling the cup up, and he would give everybody a little cup of wine to say the Chaim. Cold, cold. Yeah. Steam is on, it's blasting. His wife, Rahman al did not have any children. They were married for several years. His father used to come to Fabrengen's often. So his father told him, Go get Kesha Brachad. How do you do this? His father worked in B&H Photo together with a Lubavitcher rabbi named Rabbi Hildesheim. Rabbi Hildesheim. Shmuel Hildesheim. Shmuel Hildesheim at the time was working part-time also for the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Groner. <coughs> so Shmuel spoke to Rabbi Groner and asked him what to do. He said, listen, Bekesha Brachi, you can't talk too much. There's thousands of people waiting to get some wine. And the Rebbe stands for hours after a whole Yom Tif, just when you get in front of the Rebbe, say three words, Zara Chayev Kayama. The Rebbe will understand that he's asking for a blessing for children. So this man's son came on the line, the Sir Yitzchak came on line, and he stood on the line for Kesha and as soon as he got in front of the Rebbe, he said, Zara Chayev Kayama. The Rebbe took his gartel and he banged it on the table and said, Bracha v'atzlacha. Rabbi Grona saw this and said later he never saw this happen before. But the Rebbe used his gartel. Shortly thereafter, his wife conceived and Baruch Hashem, their daughter, daughter was born in Tavshin Nun Gimel 1992. Story doesn't end yet. It's now 5774 2013. She married a fellow named Herzog, who during the week of his Shevet although he wears a Streimel and the white socks and the whole thing, during the week of his Shevet repeated three Maimorim from the Rebbe. Before the Shidduch was announced, before they official, they made official that this, uh, this couple became Chasen Kala, the grandfather, Braun, didn't like the idea of marrying a Lubavitcher. So the father of Yitzchak said, I'll ask my Ruv, his rabbi, the Vina Dayan, Rabbi Katz. So he and his wife went on separate phones and they called the rabbi. 
And he said it's only a plus that the perspective chasen is a Lubavitcher. Chabad, right, I'm not going to say what he said. So they announced the Shidduch and everybody was happy. And the family feels that the Rebbe's bracha in 1991 that caused this child to be born continued years later when the child had to get married to marry a Lubavitcher boy. <coughs> he added, Rabbi Zalman Serebransky brought the original Herzog, the grandfather, to Lubavitch 60 years ago. So now the great-grandson was Zeichet to say three maimarim during the week of his Shavu Brachas. Yud Kislev. The Mitle Rebbe, as we said, was the successor of the Alter Rebbe. And the Alter Rebbe during the war, the Russian-Napoleon War, took sides for Russia against Napoleon. And after the Alter Rebbe passed away and the Mitle Rebbe took over the mantle, the Chassidim was struggling greatly at the time, gave the Mitle Rebbe several thousand ruble to help with the household of the Rebbe. They also gave for the tzedakahs that he used to collect for. The Mitle Rebbe settled in the city of Lubavitch, although he was living prior to that in Kremenchuk, and he moved after Shavuos. However, the Mitle Rebbe decided that the money that was given to the family should divide, be divided equally amongst the Alter Rebbe's children, not only for him, and he wrote to a chassid, a Pinchas Reitzis, that was extremely instrumental in raising these funds, and he sent his brother-in-law, of Zalman Reitzis, together with Reb Shleim Efreides, should quietly divide the money in an equitable manner. Reb Pinchas himself had no children, so after he passed away, 11 years later, a non-Hasidic nephew, which was an antagonist actually, inherited his belongings. Included in his belongings was this letter that the Mitle Rebbe wrote. This nephew did not like the, the Mitle Rebbe, as most of the antagonists did not like the Chassidim. So he went to the Mitle Rebbe and he told the Mitle Rebbe, I have a letter saying that you had a lot of money, that you received a lot of money. I'm going to go to the authorities with this if you don't pay me a bribe. Try to blackmail him. Mitla Rebbe said, I'm not going to be intimidated by you. You're not getting anything. I did nothing wrong. The letter said that amount of between three and four thousand rubles was raised. Now in Hebrew, that would be Gimel Dalid Elafim, either three or four thousand. This fellow went and added the letter Kuf, which is a hundred, in front of the da- Gimel and the Dalid, and the letter now reads that the Rebbe got a hundred and three or a hundred and four thousand rubles, which is a tremendous amount of money. And he then conspired with a fellow named Litman was also a relative of the Mitle Rebbe. And this Litman had connections in the government. And together they went to Governor Chavonsky, who was the governor of the region of Itepsk, with his false charges. And they presented the three charges. One, that the falsified letter was proving the Mitle Rebbe had a lot of money. And they said this must have been from the spoils that were left over from the war, and his father had. Secondly, the Mitle Rebbe was helping the enemy of the Russia, because he was continuing the tradition of his father, giving money to Israel, to the poor people, poor Jews in Israel. 
and they translated it wasn't the Jews, but he was sending it to the Sultan of Turkey. And thirdly, that the Mitla Rebbe had built his shul with the same dimensions as the Beis Hamikdash, therefore implementing, implying, insinuating that he was trying to build a Beis Hamikdash and he will take over and they will conquer the Russian government. Now when these trumped up charges started to circulate, the Sidon were not very concerned. Why? Because the Mitla Rebbe was held in very, very great esteem, very high esteem. To an extent that after the Alta Rebbe passed away, the Tsar Alexander called the Mitla Rebbe the Great Rabbi. And he gave him a title of an honored citizen of all generations. And he helped the Mitla Rebbe build in Kherson 22 colonies. So who would believe that the government would now think that the Mitla Rebbe did something wrong? Anyway, the story is quite an involved story, how they went back and forth, and how they didn't want the Mitla Rebbe to actually be imprisoned, and they asked it because the Mitla Rebbe was not healthy, and how they traveled with the Chassidim, and he traveled so that it should look like he was just going on a regular journey, thousands of people, hundreds of people accompanied him, But the, the Mitla Rebbe was very ill, and therefore the journey that should have taken two days took more than three, three and a half days. Throughout the journey, Mitla Rebbe Chazit Chsidis said, Many my modem. The accusers were plotting. They couldn't take it. All this honor that was being given to him, even the non Jews saw a man traveling with such an entourage, they were so impressed that they also gave honors. <laughs> So they ran to the governor general and they fought tooth and nail that he should not have these privileges but rather only be sent with a small delegation. And he was taken away that he wasn't even allowed to have a meeting with him. There were his sons and three other chassidim. When he arrived in Vitebsk he was in a home there in a house under house arrest he was kept solitary confinement for about two weeks until the 17th of Cheshvan. At that point, some of the Rebbe's privileges were returned to him. There were many things that the Rebbe wrote at that time that he wrote out about the greatness, how he wanted the governor himself to sit on the case, and he told him how Shleima Melech, Davra Melech, etc. And the governor agreed to judge it by himself. Finally, the governor decided that the Mitla Rebbe should debate with the accusers directly. During this debate with Litman, Litman was referring, saying he was calling something to the Mitla Rebbe, and he says to the Mitla Rebbe, Rebbe! At which point, Mitra Rebbe turned to the judge and said, look at this, he's my accuser, but he's calling me Rebbe. Even he understands. It was obvious that the Rebbe was, was innocent. The Rebbe was saying it was on Yud Kislev, the Rebbe was saying Tehillim, for Yud Kislev, he was saying the words, Padav Shalom Nafshi, that he's liberated my soul peacefully, and at that moment, they let know that the Mitra Rebbe was going to be freed, he was exonerated from everything. After Sukkot, the Mitzrayim traveled to Hadich. Ultimately, the next year, they were planning that the Mitzrayim should have a tremendous Sudas Hedor, a big party, praising God, thanking God for the miracle. It was not meant to be for Anteskisle, which is the Mitzrayim's birthday. The Mitzrayim passed away in Nezhen, which was exactly one day before the full year of Yud Kislev. Mitra Rebbe was 54 years old. As he had said, when his father was in prison, the Alter Rebbe, they offered him, at 54 years old also, 
either to go free and to suffer or to die. And the Rebbe took on to stay in this world, but his son took on at 54 to die. And therefore the Mitra Rebbe passed away at 54, and the Mitra Rebbe passed away at 54. The Alter Rebbe was in prison also at 54. And the entire giving over the mantle which went over to the son-in-law, the Tzemach Tzedek, is a story of its own. At this point though, the Neschus of the Mitra Rebbe, and all children should be, that need to be born in good health should be born and all blessings that every Jew needs should be completed and come into fruition and Yemalei Hashem called Mishal Yisabeinu the time of the Levracha God should fulfill all our requests from our hearts for goodness and for blessing and we should find ourselves this Shabbos as messengers in Yerushalayim Shabbat Shalom to all.